I just discovered the library. Okay. It's good. It's extremely good. You never never been to a library before? I kind of I kind of forgot that they existed. I think I haven't gone between the ages of like 16 and 26. I had this huge book project last year where I read a bunch of books. It was just a personal project. Right. And man, books are expensive. Yes. It's a it's an expensive thing to buy yes. lots of books. And a few years ago I was really into this app called Oyster. Did you ever hear of Oyster? Oyster. I don't know this one. It was um it, it got killed by a combination of Kindle Unlimited coming out and then Google buying the company and like aqua hiring the company so that they can work on Google Books. Yep. But it was basically Netflix for books, which does sound suspiciously like a library. Um, but it was, you know, you'd pay you'd pay $10 a month and they would, you, any books that were on the system, you could just read. Uh, and obviously it was like a very limited selection, but they had really, really, really good choices. And the thing that I loved about it was one, it had one of the best designs out of any iOS app I've ever used. And I still think about it to this day. It was just really beautiful, really well done. And then two, they had like a whole editorial team that would constantly be sharing the books that they were reading and the books that they were recommending. And I just read a ton of really interesting books through the service. And it's just, you know, it's like one of those things where there's a lot of books out there. So it's kind of hard to determine which book you should read next. And it's that it's almost like decision fatigue where you have so many choices in front of you that you don't know the choice to make next. And so, I don't know, it was great. I loved it a lot. But the library is the next best thing. And what was this? This was called Oyster? Is that what it was? Yeah, it was called it was called Oyster. I bet you if you like looked it up, Interesting. Oyster iOS, let's see. Let me see if I can find the screenshot of it i suppose the whole type it in look for it thing you know i could do that but if i wait long enough you'll do it for me i just send a little picture over to you and you can just see just like a really nice minimal Uh, pretty thing that was actually probably a little that's a little older before the ios 7 ification of all apps right right it did it did get a redesign and it was really good but it was just like i mean man i read a lot do you read a lot of books on the kindle uh, I I do everything on paper. So you really do. You read everything, a physical copy. So when you do Bookworm, you're never reading a Kindle edition. Yeah, exactly. I I got into eBooks for maybe three or four books, and I, I just didn't. It just didn't seem right <laughs> to me. <laughs> Did you ever have a Kindle? I didn't. No, I was I was purely on the iPad with. I think I was using the Kindle app on the iPad whenever I did that, uh-huh. and it just it just wasn't for me. I just prefer holding on to a piece of paper. I think I do enough on screens that I was just wanting to get away from them a little bit. How do you, so okay, you do a, you do a show where you talk about the books that you read. Do you have any kind of system for figuring out how to reference the books that you read or like looking back on the things that you really enjoyed? Do you just, you know, highlight in the book? I, I do some underlining. And then I do, I guess you would call it a personal index in the back. Mm-hmm. So everything I underline also gets put into the back of the book and I'll like give it a topic. So like, for example, uh, I just finished reading The Seven Habits, Highly Effective People. So very popular book. In the back of it, let's see, I have it sitting here. I have a number of things in the back of it, quotes, greatness, efficiency, people, maturity, and it goes on and on and on. But every time I underline something in the book that pertains to one of those, I put the page number next to it. So then I can always refer back to the specific ones that I liked about that particular topic in the book. So that gives a gives me a quick way to get back to something within the book. Uh, the other thing I do is I keep a commonplace. You familiar with these things? Uh, I don't know if I am or not. I don't think so. Yeah, so the commonplace... The concept there is that you have, and some people do this digital, I do it on paper. As as much of a digital person as I am, I feel like I do a lot on paper. But I have a a physical notebook, and I every time I run across something in a book that I want to commit to memory, I put it inside that commonplace, and then I try to review that commonplace book about every other day, and it's my goal to memorize everything that's in there. Wow. So that way I'm actually memorizing quotes from a book. It's kind of interesting. How long have you been doing that for? Uh couple months, three months, something like that. Not super long. It, it's going to it's going to end up being a lot of quotes. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be quite a few. This is something that I've actually really been frustrated with in my own life. I really like being able to search back on the information that I go through. This is actually one of the reasons that I've dabbled a few times with uh, using Twitter lists. But I actually can never commit to using Twitter lists because I really love the ability to search the people that I follow. You know, you can do that. You can go to Twitter, go to search, and then say only search people that I follow. And like, I don't know, I just always am finding myself referencing or or searching for 
something that someone said a year ago or a few months ago or however long ago it is. Yep. I've never found a way to actually get the information that I'm receiving out of books into a searchable index. Right. It's really challenging. And it's it's just as challenging with digital books, maybe more challenging, to be honest, because they have all these little copyright tricks to keep you from copying too much or uh-huh. <laughs> just really, really annoying stuff. So this is like a great frustration of mine. I, maybe I should try the personal index thing. But then, you know, I've been going to the library. I can't really mark up. A- I was just thinking that. I was like, well, you can't really do that. I have heard of people that keep just a regular notebook and then every everything they want to underline, they just write it out. Or I have seen people that take pictures of the page. Yeah, I've, that's what I've been doing. You take the pictures? I take the pictures of the pages just so that I can get it for later. Like I, I recently read a book that was on city architecture and I just found like a single glimmer in the book that I really wanted to remember. So it was easy for me to just take a picture of that single page and right. reference it later. I, there's a really cool app that just came out called Prismo Go. Have you heard of that? Prismo Go. This is new. Man, you're introducing me to all kinds of new stuff today. I, I got all the, the app hookups for you. But <laughs> Prismo Go, if you if you read a lot of physical books and you ever find yourself wanting to kind of turn one of those pages into something digital, uh, Prismo Go is, is the best. It's, it's a new scanner app that came out, and it basically tries its best to automatically parse all of the text and do OCR on it. Oh. So you can, like, put it over a page, and it'll start underlining every word. And then as soon as it has all the words collected, it'll give you a, a digital version of those words underneath the image. It's really great. These things, they they are good systems, but they're not perfect systems. <laughs> and then I don't know exactly what to do with the text once I have it in Prismo Go. And I think my best bet is Evernote, but Evernote's kind of crazy these days. So I need to figure this out because it's, it's actually getting kind of challenging because I've read a few books over the last just couple months and I've thought, what was that thing again? And I like can't find mm-hmm. it because I've been trying different things and I need to just stick with the system or memorize every quote like you. <laughs> No, I, I, I mean, I obviously I'm keeping all the books that I that I've read because they're physical. I have them all on a shelf, and it's pretty quick for me to know. Like, I'll know. Okay, there was a quote about technology and getting space from it. Like, there was something about that, and I know just by glancing through the titles that it's probably one of these three. So I can pick up those three. You know, it'll probably take me five, ten minutes to get there, but at the same time, I know that I can get it for sure. I'm not necessarily going to be on a wild goose chase. I know that I'm going to get there eventually. I just can't believe, well, I can believe because of copyright issues, but my kingdom for the ability to click the search bar on like the top level of the Kindle app and punch in any word and then it search all of the eBooks. I actually wonder if that's like a technical limitation because I'm not really sure exactly what an ebook is, but it seems kind of like a like a weird. It still feels kind of like a weird hack of a format of a file format. So I'm not sure exactly how these things work. It might just be that it's a lot of text to search because from a, as a developer, I can tell you those are not simple to build search bars. Yeah, and I know that. I've also written an ebook. I've, it's no longer available because it was about a program that was then turned into a video course. But having built those files, it's just a fancy word document. <laughs> right. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's like a like a zipped up bunch of word documents or something weird like. Right. Right. Throw some pictures on there. Drop some links in it. Call it an ebook, and you're good to go. <laughs> that is the problem. I mean, man, we could talk about this for hours because it's obviously hitting a nerve with me. But. <laughs> I I really am just so frustrated with the state of ebooks to this day, which I guess either you are too or you've just missed this boat entirely, but <laughs> it's probably the latter. It's such a subpar experience reading a book on a, a Kindle or an app. I really wish that wasn't the case because it should be so much better at this point. I, I've been doing a thing recently. Amazon has a nice kind of feature called uh, Kindle Matchbook, where if you buy a physical copy, they'll give you the digital copy for cheap. Oh. But even that's not good enough for me. I, I really honestly think that digital copies should come free with a physical book or there should be this sort of normal paradigm that yeah if you get a physical thing you get a digital thing and uh, man it is it is a challenge and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon I was sure that was going to happen with CDs and records years ago mm-hmm. but here we are still paying for everything well actually no here we are just streaming everything and paying a flat fee for it yeah just get the file yeah weird stuff but I miss Oyster, R.I.P. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Bye, Oyster. <laughs> so how come you, you gave Kindle a try and you just didn't feel like it was right with uh, iPad? I think my problem with eBooks is that it feels like I'm still working on my computer. And that can mean I'm searching for things or something strikes me and I want to go look it up. And 
bouncing back and forth from thing to thing, although that's usually a good thing for me that strengthens a muscle in my brain that has me extremely distracted. So do you do you have that impulse to check Twitter in the middle of a page or to go search for something else or check your email or whatever it might be? Yeah, absolutely. If, I, if it even crosses my mind that that's something I want to do, I'm gone. Like, it's just... It's too easy to just move over and do the thing. And getting away from the ebook and and getting the physical book is probably the only thing that's going to fully break me of that. I mean, you could do some things like put a lock on it and prevent you from switching to another app. Like you could probably find some ways to do that. It's not worth it. (laughs) It's just it's too much work for me. So I know that by picking up a physical book, all of those potential distractions are gone. And I also know that I read a physical book a lot faster than I would a digital. Book. Right, it's quite a bit different. So you just you just do the physical version. Yep, that's wise. Yep. Now, do you do you do all digital or do you do physical books as well? I actually got a library card to get digital books because I don't know if you're aware, but there's this app called Overdrive. Oh yeah, my wife uses that quite a bit. Yeah, so you get a library card, and then all of a sudden you can check out digital books, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, like how that works or exists. And I I think I've I actually tried to check out a book from the digital library before and they told me someone else checked it out, which... (laughs) really doesn't make sense to me. Just make a copy of it. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. But I, I got that because I, I was thinking, man, I, I need to spend less money on books. It'd be great if I could save a little money by just downloading books from the, the OverDrive app because it actually even lets you put them in your, your Kindle app more often than not, which is nice for me. Um, so I have been doing almost exclusively digital for a long, long time. And basically, I would like buy the physical format of a book or something that I really wanted to enjoy or sit with or, you know, have on a shelf. But then when I got the library card, I of course browsed through the library because I was there and I just started picking up all these books. And I mean, let's see, one, two, three, four. I have 10 library books behind me on a table right now. <laughs> and I've kind of been going on rotations of 10 books over the last few weeks. And it's really been nice. It's been nice to have the physical version. The thing that bothers me is just that this is an obvious limitation of physical books, but that I can't bring them all with me at all times because yes. I'm that kind of person that's like always in three books at once. Right, right. So it's harder to do that when I have to actually carry them around. But I, I have noticed that I feel a little more present when I read the physical version as opposed to the digital version. So I'm I'm kind of in the middle right now. Yeah, I, under, I understand the, the limitation of not being able to travel with them. Like if we go, say we go visit my in-laws, I'm usually, like I have a, a fiction book that I'll read at night before bed. I've usually got a nonfiction book I'm reading, but if I'm anywhere near the middle of a week, that means I got to take two or three of those with me because I go through about one a week. And then my wife and I are reading one together at all times. And then I usually have like a journal and I'll take my Bible with me. And then that means I've got like six or seven books that need to go with me. <laughs> right. It's a lot. Like, it's just not going to fit in my backpack at all, and it's just not going to go. And I recently took a trip to uh, Cambodia, which is like a 24-hour flight, and I read a lot on those flights. Right. And actually, I was I was really thankful. Sometimes I do like this weird redundancy thing where I'm like, oh, maybe I'll want to read it on my iPhone, or I'll want to read it on my iPad, and then I kind of go back and forth and like download everything on both devices. <laughs> and I'm really, really glad I did that because I found out we were flying a a Chinese airline and Chinese airlines actually don't allow you to use your phone for the duration of the entire flight. Oh. So yeah, laptops are fine, tablets are fine, but phones, you actually can't have it out. So if they see you using a phone, you can like kind of get in serious trouble. Huh. So I actually like put a bunch of videos on my phone because I have the 6 Plus, which is like basically a tablet. So it's nicer to like watch a little (laughs) video or something. Right. And I couldn't use any of them because they they wouldn't let me use my phone. So I had everything on my, my iPad and I just read for the entire time. But I mean, if I would have tried to bring some physical books on that flight, one, that would have been pretty cumbersome. And two, I would have I would have finished it much quicker than was the need. So the digital books come in handy more often than not. I have a huge Amazon wish list. It's just I every time I see a book that I like, I save the Kindle version to the wish list, and then I have it sorted by uh, lowest price. And I look at it probably once a week just to see what's on sale. And if something's ninety nine cents or a buck ninety nine, then I I buy it and I snag it and keep going. That's a nice thing about the Kindle is that things are always on sale, so that works out well for me. But I've also been really getting into audiobooks lately. Have you ever done audiobooks? I did one. Whoa, oh, and... one. Okay. <laughs> I did one. Either a fine experience or a terrible experience. It's it's not for me. I, oh. I I get distracted too easy. And was it a fiction book or a nonfiction book? That one was a. Uh... 
what was it? It was a biography. Mm, okay. So nonfiction in that case. But it's theoretically story, so it should keep me interested in at one point. Now, I was driving, so there's also that in mind. I was playing it through the car. And by the time I realized I was like two or three chapters ahead of where I remembered being and I had no idea what was going on. Right, yeah. That can happen. I just I just get into a zone and I just don't hear what's going on around me. And the next thing I know, I'm completely lost. So I just figured it's probably not something smart I should be doing. Was it because you were getting distracted driving or getting distracted like in your head, like thinking of other things? Definitely in my head. I, I can get on a train of thought and just be there. It's definitely focus on the road for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the, the the navigation wasn't the dilemma. The navigation was your internal process. Yes, because that particular road, we get on it and stay on it for six hours and never get off. So That's the perfect time for audiobooks, man. It is, but it just doesn't work. <laughs> I tried quite a few times to get into audiobooks, probably over the last few years. I've just downloaded one on occasion and tried to listen and I've never really gotten through it. And then Gosh, I don't know which one it was. It actually might have been this book called Jesus's Son by an author named Dennis Johnson, who actually just passed away. I say, I think I just heard about this. Yeah, yeah. And I had just managed, I randomly picked up the book because I heard it was good as an audiobook. And let's see, the audiobook is narrated by Will Patton. Do you know Will Patton? I do not. Who's Will Patton? He was famous for a few movies like Remember the Titans and Armageddon. Oh, right. But if you, if you look up a picture of Will Patton, Will Patton can either look remarkably clean cut and cool or drugged out of his mind and crazy. <laughs> One or the other. Yeah, Jesus' son required uh, a narrator who could be the latter. It's a book about this person who has this very wild, drug-filled life, uh, but it's written in this almost surrealist tone. And his narration of the book was so good that it made me really consider audiobooks again, because it sucked me in, in a way that I had never been sucked in before by a, by an audiobook. And ever since then, I've really been trying to get more and more into it, and my, my trick is I just really, I don't look at how good the book is, I look at how good the narrator is. And if I... Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, if I feel something in the narrator's tone that like resonates with me, then I'm much, much more likely to get through the entire book. So I've also mostly been doing fiction. I think nonfiction is fairly hard as an audiobook because some, some of it's almost made to be skimmed or looked back on or you know it's it's a kind of a different format of writing right but fiction is just this this narrative straight path forward in a very linear way um so i i basically listened to everything that will Patton had ever done and then moved on to other narrators that i like just as much and <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been into it. It's been cool. I know with with nonfiction, I know that if you're going to do and cause, only because I've heard people tell me about this, if you're going to do nonfiction in audiobook format, you really have to look through like what do people feel about it? Because there's a lot of graphics sometimes and like worksheet almost type yes. thing and it just doesn't yeah. work out well to do in the audio bit. But that makes a lot of sense if you have a good narrator. Maybe I just had a bad narrator on the one that I was listening to and it ruined me yeah i actually really appreciate that in audible they have two separate reviews a review for the book and a review for the narration ah. um, so basically i just always look at the narration reviews and... <laughs> let's focus on the important part here <laughs> yeah they also they have yeah they also have a great policy where if you don't like a book you can just return it uh, and get your money back so audible does i don't know if you've probably heard that on many a podcast yes advertisement but it's a super great feature that i've taken advantage of quite often i'll be like nah this didn't work for me yeah buy it listen to the narrator don't like it but that that, my friend, is even harder because how to take notes off of an audiobook, that, that's, a, that's a real challenge. How are you going to reference those later on, Drew? <laughs> really, really can't. So this is a problem. I don't have an answer to it, but I'm just going to keep reading books. And... <laughs> I figure if I read enough, it'll eventually just permeate my brain and I'll remember what I want to remember. Oh, is that, is that how it works? <laughs> and you'll, you'll, you'll think that you're the originator of every thought. It'll be great. See, I'm okay with that. Because then I'm <laughs> then I'm brilliant. <laughs> exactly. So you you just brought up the fact that you don't like reading things on your iPhone, and you don't even really like reading things on your iPad. I don't even have an iPad. Oh well, wait. You had an iPad. You said at one point, yes, it was a company iPad. <laughs> okay, it's gone. And the company took it when I left. So all right, all right. So you definitely don't like doing anything on the iPad because it doesn't exist for you. You know, it's kind of worthless for me. The one I have just doesn't do anything. So you mean because it's non-existent? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. <laughs> no, no amount of iOS updates or new apps will really fix that problem of not existing. 
No. Nope. But I think what you're what I'm hearing from you is that just the very idea of being behind a screen changes the way that you're thinking about whatever it is that you're you're looking at. Maybe you're more prone to distraction, maybe you're you're less focused in on a thing, maybe you're just in a different mental state than not. Is that right? Uh I would say so a little bit because I know that since I started reading books regularly, I started off with about one every two weeks, and then I got to where I was reading one a week. And for me, that you really have to sit and read for about an hour a day to do that, and at least I do. And sitting and reading and focusing on one thing for that length of time, because I do it in one sitting, it really teaches me to focus, I guess. It, it works on that particular muscle in my brain, which helps me out a lot. But whenever I go to the screens, I go to my phone or I, I grab my Mac and start working on things. It's just a different mindset for me. And I, I know that I'm prone to jumping from thing to thing. And the phone is pretty easy at dragging me into things. And, and I don't necessarily want that because I just don't want to take the time for that. Uh, and I say it that way specifically because I could just blow time on it, but I really don't want to take the time with it, if that makes any sense. So yeah, I know my mind shifts a little bit whenever I get into the phone. So how do you feel about notifications? Do you have any kind of way of dealing with stuff that's coming in and distracting you? I turn most of them off. <laughs> I don't really have any on it. Yeah. So, I mean, is there anything that kind of makes it through that wall or is it almost all of it just saying, no, I'll get to it when I get to it? Well, here's, so my my thought process on notifications is that if I'm going to get a notification, it should really be something that I need to take care of right now. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's going to make my phone buzz and ding, it's something I need to be doing right now. And whenever I stop and think about it, there are actually very few things that require that level of interaction. It you know, if I if I get a calendar alert, that's a big deal because that means I need to be jumping on a call or I need to be leaving the house to go to a meeting or something is happening that I need to shift what I'm doing right now and go do that. If I get a text or a phone call, like a phone call, even those I don't necessarily get when they come in because I have my phone on do not disturb most of the day. And I'll check it about once an hour just to see see if there's anything I need to take care of. But yeah, notifications don't really make it through at all. Was there a time when they did? <laughs> yes, which is why I don't do it anymore. <laughs> you've, you've mentioned that before that you are less attached to your iPhone than maybe most people are. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's because you've had a negative experience with your phone or just because you've recognized this isn't optimal for me or a mix of both. I have recognized that the way the phone is built and the way that a lot of the apps for it are built are to keep you engaged Mm -hmm. with it. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all these things are designed to keep you interacting with it. And have you rotate back and forth between them. Right. They they would love for you to just cycle them constantly. Yeah. And I just don't like what that creates both in my brain and in from a time standpoint. I also have you have to keep in mind I have three kids too, so I would rather they see me in my face as opposed to me spending time on my phone because I I don't really want them to see that getting an addiction to a phone is a good thing. So I'm trying to teach them the opposite and how to control it the correct way. So you have to keep that in mind because that's a big part of this too because I want them to, to get an accurate view of how to deal with technology appropriately. And that's not as simple as it sounds because so much of it is designed to pull you in. So I, I just am, a, I'm very aware of that, almost painfully aware of that. And it leads me to making sure that if I'm going to pick up my phone and do something, I try to make sure I know what I'm going to do before I pick it up. I'm not always the best at that, but if I know, like I have a client who's trying to send me payment for an invoice. I want to make sure that they don't have any issues with that process. That's a big deal. That's how I get paid. So... I want to be keeping an eye on my email or something in that case. So I'll check it every 30, 45 minutes if I've got something going on like that. Mm. But outside of that, as long as I know this is what I'm looking for, I can pick up my phone, check that one thing and put it back down and not not get sucked into a hole. Do you find yourself really battling distraction on a regular basis or do you feel like you've kind of fixed that problem for you as far as inbound distractions go? I would say I used to have a big problem with that. And I know that from a distraction standpoint, I'm very prone to them. Mm. Like new and shiny is fun for me. (laughs) So if I have the potential to start a new plugin for some code I'm doing, like that sort of thing is easy for me to get sucked into and go deep really quick. And knowing that I'm prone to that, I've 
I've really had to build a lot of things to keep me from going down those holes, you know, going down the rabbit trail. Because I know I'll lose an hour, two hours sometimes if I start that path and I don't continually fight it. So knowing that I need to fight that means that just about every system I put in place between my phone and my Mac is designed to get me the to get the job done now as quick as I can without losing a whole lot of time on it. So what about social media? Are you on Twitter throughout the day or are you not? Well, I I check it on occasion, but I don't really hang out there much at all. You know, I, I'll i check in on Twitter just to make sure <laughs> mostly that no one is mentioning me with an issue with some software I've written. <laughs> <laughs> That's mostly what I'm looking for when I go there. And if I check it and there's no notifications, like there's no mentions of me, I usually am gone pretty quick right after that. I'm not usually one that's going to hang out. I am not a Twitter completionist. So, yeah. Mm, that's interesting. So, I I don't I don't hang out there. Uh Instagram I'm on, but I I usually check it like once a day. I don't follow that many people. Uh though I follow you and your wife. There you go. Sweet. <laughs> like I like Instagram. It's mostly friends, family, that sort of thing, and I'm checking in on it once a day just to see what other people are doing, and I post to it, you know, every couple three days or so. But that's that's about it for social media. I really don't hang out online really a lot at all. How about Facebook? Not Facebook. I haven't checked Facebook in probably three months. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> and it's only because. At that point, my wife told me that there was something I needed to see, so I needed to go check it. So I went and checked it, and that was probably the first time I'd checked it in four or five months previous to that. So nailed it. Yeah, I'm not a, not a Facebook fan at all. Yeah, I've I've really been struggling with social media or just my thinking around social media over the last few months. I was a Twitter completionist for a really long time. The question is, how many people were you following when you did that? I mean. Uh, probably a, a decent amount. I don't know. I'm, right now, I'm following a hundred people. But see, that's not bad though. But for a while, I was probably following four hundred, three hundred. I I don't know how many people. You know, it wasn't thousands, but it was. Right. It was quite a few, and we've sort of hit a shift in Twitter where people aren't quite as active as they used to be. But you remember back in the day, there was quite a few tweets from quite a few accounts, and mm-hmm. you could really spend your entire day on it. And some people did. And some people did. And I've noticed a few changes, not only in social media and Twitter specifically, but just the the, the kind of tone of conversations online. And uh, it hasn't felt super healthy to me. Maybe it was never healthy, but it feels like it's getting maybe less healthy. And I decided to take a step back from it, take a break. I unfollowed everybody and just kind of got rid of my accounts. And I I spent basically all of December, January, and most of February completely off of social media, except for posting the occasional photo to Instagram myself. Yeah. Uh, it was really more of a, this is a place where I go to like create something, as opposed to this is where I go to hang out and look at other people's lives. And it was a really, really good experience. Uh, definitely broke the Twitter completionist need inside of me, which is in a very real way an addiction. You know, you, you get so used to something in your life that it feels wrong when you don't have it anymore. It was pretty clear that not having Twitter didn't change my life radically in any way. Right. Uh, not having these these things to look at every day actually freed me up as opposed to hurting my life somehow. So it was a really good experience. And ever since then, I've I've found myself really considering more carefully everything I do online and the way that I spend time. And I was I was pretty unsure if I was going to go back to Twitter at all or not. And I, I have, but it's nowhere near like what it used to be. It's more of something that I can kind of go and check out for a minute and look into the lives of some of the people that I really respect. Yeah. But I mean... It's been pretty clear to me that this thing that's shifted our lives radically, having a phone in our pockets that can distract us forever, is not going to change anytime soon, and no one's really interested in it changing. Were you a were you a early phone adopter, or did you have a smartphone earlier than most people? I the first smartphone I had was actually a BlackBerry, uh, and it was for company use at the time, and I don't believe. Trying to remember when that was. It was before iPhones and Androids really took over. It's when BlackBerry was kind of the big mm-hmm. player in that. Did you use it as a internet browser and that kind of thing, or not, was it mostly just a no, work? No, not really. It was, you know, at the time I was working in Iowa, and the cell coverage out there was spotty at best. So it, it was just enough where I could get emails that came in, and I could I could check those. 
pretty easy and get emails sent off, but that was about all I used it for. And then I didn't get an iPhone at all until we moved to Minnesota, which would have been about five years ago. It was an iPhone 4. That was the first one I got. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, so that's, that's pretty late in the game. Yeah, it was pretty late, and I don't know. I feel like I went through the normal bout of using it for everything and then got to where I'd use it for very specific tasks now. Yeah. <laughs> I remember having a Windows mobile phone way back in the day. Yeah. It was it was pretty terrible, but it was also pretty amazing <laughs> right. because of all the things that it could do. And I spent a bunch of time putting my own firmware on it to make it better and faster and downloading different apps for it and getting a ebook reader app when like ebooks weren't really a thing and using the internet browser which was really really terrible to use and having the little stylus and you know all these weird strange things that came with having a a phone that connected to the internet back in the day and then I got an iPhone I didn't have the first one I had the second one which that was the iPhone 3G right right and I distinctly remember sitting places and reading a book or doing anything and people not understanding what I was doing. No one really sat on their phone and like looked at it. I right. I was in a waiting room one time and was just reading a book and people were people were waiting for me to be done with my phone to call me in to the office because they thought that I was like on the phone because they're like, why else would you, why are you looking at your phone? You know? Yeah. So it just, it's obviously a huge, 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 huge change that's happened in the last decade. That's made some major changes to the way that we work and the way that we live. And I do think that there's obviously a a ton of ways in which it's been ridiculously beneficial. The amount of information that we have at our fingertips is like beautiful. And I love the fact that it's everywhere in the world. I really think that it's having some massive changes in like developing nations that are even more interesting than the ones that are that are happening here that we see every day. But the the downside of it is the distraction and the addiction that comes with it. And I, I appreciate hearing you say that. As a father, you don't want to show that behavior to your kids. And I, I've seen so many kids who are much more adept at using phones and tablets and all of that than I am just because they've been using them since they're children. Do, you, do your kids have a lot of screen time or do you kind of keep that from happening? Yeah, so we have... Uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say we. I have a couple friends who get on to me because my girls don't ever use screens, and they keep telling me that they're going to be behind in school and they're not going to, they're not going to be up with the times when it comes to technology. And my my typical response to that is that I didn't grow up with them, and I know them better than most, and I build for them. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good like, point. I think I'm all right, and I think they're okay. You know, it's it's not hurting them to go out in the backyard and, you know, pretend that there's a swimming pool there. Like, it's not going to hurt them to do that instead of playing on the iPad. You know, there, there's some things that I feel like people try to guilt you into with kids, and, like, they're going to do this if you do this. Like, well, I don't necessarily believe your underlying assumption on some of that. So with technology, what I'm getting at is that I know I know there's a, a big push to help kids learn it early, really early. Now, our oldest is four, so keep that in mind. But I don't give them screen time. Our oldest received an Amazon Fire for Christmas. Uh, it's still sitting on my desk. We've never given it to her. She's never used it because I'm just not comfortable with that right now. But I know that if I started to introduce that, I want to do it intentionally and in a very specific way. And right now, I don't know what that is. I haven't nailed down what that process is for them. If I ever figure it out, I'll get started on it. <laughs> but until then, I don't know what that process needs to look like. I know that it's going to be a huge part of their future. So they definitely need to be involved with it. But I also don't want to introduce too much too soon because I know that my kids tend to be very protective of things and they like stuff. So it's very easy for them to become little demons, I guess, with the with the things that they're given because they become too protective and their attitudes become an issue whenever they get certain things. And to me, that's more detrimental to than the positive of them learning the technology. So to me, I need to teach them how to have the right attitude around certain stuff before they start learning how to use the tech. Now there's, there's, there's my parenting rant for the day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good thing to be thinking through and I certainly don't have the answers or the thoughts because I'm not a parent one and two, even if I was, I'm not sure if I would have the answer, but I, I know a lot of kids who are genuinely addicted to technology where being in a place and not having a phone to play with 
will result in a very real tantrum. And I have wondered about that. I know that as a kid, I love technology quite a bit myself. And I think that in many ways it was healthy, but I do wonder in which ways it wasn't. It's it's really fascinating. It just doesn't seem like it's going to be something that gets solved at the drop of a hat. I think we're going to be delving through this for quite a while and really trying to understand how to best use this thing that's, for all intents and purposes, been a major and radical shift for the way that we interact with each other. But I think you've got a, you've got a good point there, though, that it's something that you can use to do something as opposed to being a means itself, like being the end itself. Right. Like using, using the phone because that's the thing you want to do is use your phone is very different than using your phone to create something. Like if you're using it for videography, that's a very different game than... It's a different game than if you're using it to just cruise around and be distracted, if that makes sense. Yeah. I wanted to show you this thing. Uh, it's a Kickstarter project that just ran a while ago that called itself a phone for humans. It's a company called Siempo that was attempting to make a phone that helped us feel freed from notifications and addictions. The, the first thing that I'll note is that it unfortunately failed. Uh, it didn't make its it didn't make its goal, and it didn't make its goal by a, a fair margin. Now, whether or not that's because the idea wasn't good, or whether or not it's because the world just doesn't need another phone, I'm I'm unsure about. Maybe it's a mix of both. But this is a really interesting concept that I thought was a fascinating look into the fact that there are so many people who dislike the amount of time they spend on their phone that an entire company was able to be formed to try and fix that issue. It was just a, a simple Android phone that had some really key features that I thought were, were wildly good and I would love to see integrated into every phone as time goes on. Siempo? Yeah, Siempo. So you mentioned that you use Do Not Disturb pretty often, right? Yep. Yeah, so this thing has an actual physical button on its side that you would click to put Do Not Disturb on for 15-minute increments. Interesting. If you're walking into a meeting or you're having a conversation with somebody or you just want to get to work on a project, they recognized the need for you to be able to stop notifications from coming in at a, at a click of a button as opposed to drilling down into a bunch of menus. And then they actually have a thing called Tempo, which would batch your notifications in increments as well of 15 minutes or an hour. So instead of every single time a text comes, it would just come straight to you. You would get a little sorted pile of notifications on a regular basis so that you would not be distracted at every moment's whim. That sounds very familiar to just the way I do things because I just check it every once in a while, run through all the ones that have come in, and then go away. (laughs) Right. So that's the funny thing about this, right, is that you could do all of these things. No one's forcing you to pick up your phone and check every notification. You could say, okay, I'll look at that at the top of the hour, every hour, or whatever you might say. But it's clear that people don't do that. You are an anomaly, not the norm. Oh, I'm aware of that. I'm very weird. I really appreciated the process. Project. And I think what they've decided to do is basically build a app, maybe, or some sort of top-level thing that's mm-hmm. going to be built into Android, which makes sense because you know, the, the ideas that they were doing, nothing was so revolutionary that it needed its own phone. But right. I, I just, I don't know, I was really taken by this project, and I find myself thinking about it often. And I, I wish that I would see more of these features not only implemented in iOS and, like, every phone, but just... Just considered more because it really seems clear to me that you said it yourself, you know, when people are making apps, they're making apps to keep you in them, not to help you alleviate stress in your life. And what would it look like for companies to actually start thinking about, okay, well, how can we limit interruptions and how can we keep people feeling focused. These these are questions that no one is asking, and I, I just wish that they were. Does that make sense? It does, and it reminds me of the time when they introduced the Apple Watch, mm-hmm. because it seemed like the, the purpose of it, at least in its original intent, was to keep you from checking your phone so much. Right. And, and I don't have one, so of course I'm the wrong person to probably say this, but my sense is that having the Apple Watch can also lead you to checking your watch as opposed to your phone. Like, it just changes the device that you're checking for the same thing. And I I do know a couple people who end up having more notifications because it's on the watch and they're less obtrusive, and they feel like they're not actual distractions, whereas the notifications on the phone are. To me, they're the same thing. No matter how I come at it, it's breaking my attention from the thing I'm working on. And I just know that the more times I have my attention broken, the less... 
actual solid productive work I'm going to get done. That's my sense. You have an Apple Watch. Is that true? Yeah, yeah it's actually, you know, this is the second time that we'll be discussing the Apple Watch and I'll be being <laughs> very pro Apple Watch. I think that you're right, especially the way that it's set up initially. It would be terrible because on setup of an Apple Watch, it basically installs every app that has an Apple Watch version that's on your iPhone. And then it also turns notifications on for all of them. And then it has its own set of notifications, mostly good, but it'll tell you, hey, it's time to stand. Have you considered taking a, a moment's pause and doing its like little breathing exercise? And then also it'll give you updates on your, your fitness goals. So if you have all of that on, man, oh man, that's a lot. And that's no less distracting. And you actually look a lot more rude because we've made it socially acceptable to look at your phone. Mm hmm in many ways, but to look at your watch just as a, a jerk, it's a jerk thing to do in a lot of situations. It looks like you're checking the time and you're so ready to get out of here. Yep. The Apple Watch has been out for a long time. Everyone is aware that notifications exist on the Apple Watch, but anytime that I look at my Apple Watch in the middle of a conversation, people start hurrying up their speech to try to finish their thoughts so that I can get on my way, you know? So totally not great in that sense, but I have it super locked down where basically I only have a few very key notifications that come through to my watch. It's basically just a few people who I want to be able to text me at any time. And in that sense, it works great because as soon as my watch is on, then my phone stops vibrating or ringing. So if somebody calls me, which is a rarity because I know very few people who actually use the phone, uh, I check that. And if someone who is really important is texting me, I check that. But as other than that, everything just gets pushed to my phone and sits there until I look at it. And it has been great for me. There is something that really provides, I wouldn't say anxiety, but it, it changes the way that you're thinking. It, it's a definite distraction when your phone starts going off in your pocket. And for me, phone calls are even worse than text messages because it's that constant ringing, you know, and you just kind of feel like you have to act on it, either reject it or, or accept it. Whereas with a text message, you know, you get that one little buzz and you think, okay, I can either wait or I can look at it now, but it's it's no big deal either way. Um, but with the Apple Watch, that little tap on my wrist just kind of notifies me that there's something that I should look at at some point. And if I'm in the middle of a conversation, if I'm doing some work, I will wait quite a while before I actually look at it because I know that it's there and it's waiting for me and it's no big deal. And even, you, you might have heard this before, but there's even something really strange about the way that it taps you because it doesn't really feel like an aggressive buzz where even at the lowest setting, your iPhone in your pocket is going to do some do some buzzing damage to your like brain, you know, you'll just kind of recognize <laughs> yeah. that it's happening. But the, the iPhone is this kind of very gentle tapping sensation that doesn't feel urgent. And as silly as that sounds, it really does change the way that I, I think about it. And so, man, I love it. It's It's been awesome for me. But it's awesome for me because I turned everything off, which probably most people don't do. <laughs> and that's actually the really weird thing is... I I don't remember why, but I had to I had to reset everything recently, and you know I wiped my phone and I wiped my Apple Watch and it kind of started all new. And I did it. I turned everything off, but I forgot to turn off the weekly fitness notifications. Oh, and getting a notification that wasn't important felt really strange to me because I'd gotten so used to everything being kind of necessary that looking down at my watch and seeing what was basically like a false alarm of "Hey, good job, you did it," you know, you moved around last week felt like wrong. Um, so I turned that <laughs> off really quickly. But yeah, it's it's been great. It's it's really awesome for me. And that's one of the reasons why I got it. I got it to be a little more fit and it worked and I got it to be a little less distracted and it worked. But I know that I probably too am an anomaly when it comes to that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the technology over time and, and how it changes and whether or not it's trying to get more of your attention or less. Also, the last thing I'll say about it is you said you might just spend as much time on your watch, but man, it is not intended for you to be messing around with it any longer than five or 10 <laughs> seconds. You know, you, you feel yeah. you feel pretty dumb and you look pretty dumb if you're sitting there like fiddling around with it and trying to read Twitter or something with like it three inches from your face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So even that feels like a win to me. That feels like a good thing because you're supposed to look at it and then move on. A really nice thing, too, is that you can put your hand over the watch to stop a notification from coming in. So if, if your watch is buzzing because you have a phone call, 
you don't even have to look at it. You can just put your hand over it and the phone call will silence. Um, Interesting. So yeah, those little key features mean that I feel more focused in and more attentive when I'm having like a conversation with somebody in person. So those things are good, but I don't think they're the norm in any way. I think I just have really good control on my phone which is abnormal. So many times I want to just pull out my phone and check something quick, like I'm waiting in line at the grocery store. I want to check through Twitter quick. I do my best not to do that because I just don't want to become reliant on it and fill all the little spaces in life with my phone. I I just try to use a little discretion with it. And I, I feel like that's one place where I feel the Apple Watch might be helpful is, you know, if I dumb it down really far to where I'm just getting, say, phone calls or, or, or things of that nature that are coming through and the way that I can interact with those without even looking at it. Like, I could see that being helpful. I don't think it's helpful enough for the price tag <laughs> to, to get into that. So there's, there's a little bit of that involved as well. But I, I do think it, it's odd the way I use my phone or in this case don't use my phone because there there are just very few tasks that I find myself using it for you could put your you could put your omnifocus list on your your wrist too Joe you might like that I could I could but it's in my pocket and I don't have to reference (laughs) it constantly (laughs) all right fine that's fair (laughs) yeah I uh I typically keep a pretty minimal watch face because I found that that information can be a distraction as well. I was actually pretty excited about the concept of having tasks and calendar notifications and all of that on my on my wrist. And in some settings, it's really helpful. I've used it on really busy days when I have a bunch of meetings or when I had a bunch of meetings at my past job. Uh, that was great to know, oh, I have something coming up in half an hour. This needs to get wrapped up or whatever that might be. But on a day-to-day basis, it's better to just figure out the, the way that it works for you and kind of keep it off of your wrist. Because every time you look at it, you might be reminded of something that just gives you a little anxiety as opposed to helping you feel focused. I think that often we believe that technology is going to focus us or make us more productive when in fact it does the opposite. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I I think so much of technology is just a lot of times, even as a developer, a lot of times you're trying to build something just because you can (laughs) or it seems interesting or you think you can make money off of it. Trying to keep somebody's mental state and how they should be interacting with their work, trying to keep that in mind. I'm not going to do that. Like that's that's up to you to figure out how you should handle the thing. I forgot who it was and I'll, I'll try to look it up. But there was somebody who had written recently about time blocking. And this, I, I don't really know if it's new or not, but it seems maybe like it's going through a bit of a fad of really just calendaring your entire day so that every single moment is filled with something that you're supposed to do. Uh, and, and somebody was writing about how that's a great idea, but you can end up just spending so much time focused on the scheduling that you're actually spending less time working, which is the same thing that can happen with a task manager, right? You can spend all day gardening your task manager and making sure that it feels perfect. And in doing that, you're you're taking all this time away where you should have just been working because you're busy checking off lists and putting things in projects and doing it in a way that you probably didn't need to do in the first place. Yeah, that's that's an important point there because yeah, you know, I wrote a well, I didn't write, but I created a video course on OmniFocus and that whole course is designed to keep it's designed to help you figure out how to use OmniFocus in a way that doesn't require a lot of maintenance. And so many times I run across people that have these really elaborate you know, they've got naming schemes for tasks and they want to have multiple contacts here or there. Well, OmniFocus doesn't allow that. So you have to do something special. Like, Why would you fight it to do so much of this stuff and you're creating the need to do a lot of maintenance on it later on? You know, I do the time blocking thing where I write out my schedule for the day. I'm not going to schedule, like I'm not going to put it down to the minute, but I usually have like every hour I know what I should be working on. I also know that I don't do that every day. I do the whole week all at once on Sunday mornings. So that makes sense. Yeah. You know, if I do it at a week at a time, I know what my goals for the week are. So then I can plan out every day of the week, set up OmniFocus to to match that, which doesn't take. But, you know, if I'm scheduling out the week, it takes me maybe 10, 15 minutes. Setting up OmniFocus to match it maybe takes me five. So if I've got the entire week set up in, say, 20, 30 minutes, to me, that's a win. 
because it takes very little time to just review that every day and go. There you go. And that makes sense, right? That's the way to do it is to actually say, this is a thing that I'm going to stick to and it's something that I'm using as a frame of reference for how long I'm going to do it. The way that it doesn't work is when you become so detail-oriented that the entire system can fall apart at the drop of a hat because yes. you didn't account for some little problem that you, you just weren't considering when you made the whole time blocking system. Right, you know? right. And if I don't schedule in like some buffer time between things, bad things will happen. And, you know, I, I've laid this whole plan out. It's it's grandiose and looks amazing and sounds like I'm doing absolutely everything perfectly every time. Yeah, that would happen if I just stuck to the plan and didn't <laughs> didn't deviate because of something new and shiny. Like that's <laughs> it, it would be amazing if I'd follow through on it, but it doesn't always happen. That's just life, though. I do know that you time block naps, though. I do time block naps. I love my naps as long as I take them. <laughs> are you are you loving them more over over this last bit of time, or are you still fighting it? I am still. I, I'm getting better at taking my naps. I, I like my naps. I I love that I can fall asleep very quickly because I know that laying down, I've got 30 minutes and I'll be up again. But yeah, it's been helpful. I, I like my naps. I just need to make sure I don't schedule stuff over top of them. I'm bad at that because, you know, the thing with naps is it feels like a luxury item. So if someone wants to do a phone call, but I'm already booked up the rest of that day, but I still want to do the phone call. That's usually the first thing that goes out the window is the nap. Yeah, I'm trying not to do that. That's probably a bad idea. It is. I this is a this is an aside that may or may not make it into the podcast. But when I was editing <laughs> the last podcast, I got to the point where you were talking about taking naps. And I was feeling pretty sleepy. And I thought, you know what? That sounds great. And I, <laughs> and I closed my laptop and I took a nap. And I thought, this, I need a nap. <laughs> this was a good moment. That was a good reminder. So I'm already, uh, I'm implementing our own advice at this, at this point. There you go. So just plan on when you're editing this show, mm-hmm. just make sure that you hit this particular point in time at about 1.30 in the afternoon. You'll be good. Yeah, I'll shut, I'll shut the laptop and, and yeah, <laughs> get some shut eye. You got onto the Things 3 track. Oh, Things 3, yeah. I I looked at it. I didn't do any in-depth research on it. I have been trying to keep an eye on... There's a discussion going on on ProductivityGuild.com, which is a, a forum productivity site that I run. Mm-hmm. And th- they got into a conversation about Things 3. Uh, a lot of it was negative, to be completely honest here. Uh, there were a couple folks that really liked it. I shared your article on it with that particular group, uh, one of which was like, yes, all this. This is my head. This is what I'm thinking. So <laughs> they, they really appreciated your writing on it. So there you go. But yeah, outside of that, I haven't really spent much time with it. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Uh, for years and years, I used OmniFocus. I absolutely loved it. I just recognized that in this season of my life, it was too heavy of a tool for my needs. And then I had moved over to Todoist, partially because I wanted something a little lighter, Partially because it had that uh, natural language parsing, which I I love and I I wish everything would have. And then partially because it was just kind of pretty. But then again, my life changed even more and I found myself looking at that even less. And it doesn't matter how great your task manager is. If you're not looking at it, then there's no point to having it at all. And then when things came out, it just really did seem like it fit my head and this season of my life really well. Have you ever used any version of things? Uh, I looked into things too at one point mm-hmm. and I, I never downloaded it and ran with it it just didn't have I don't think it had the backing of some other people and I don't think it has Apple script support if I remember that correctly which is a big deal for me because I tend to script a lot of apps and and build custom features for the apps that I use mm-hmm. uh, because I know that I'm never going to find an app that's going to fit what I want exactly so I tend to just create my own functionality on it yeah. whoops yeah. <laughs> so I, I tend to do that and if an app doesn't have the ability for me to do that I tend to pass on it pretty quick and I'm pretty sure things was in that category. Yeah. I wrote an article a while ago. It was a to do deep dive where I basically took OmniFocus, Things 2, To Do and Todoist and I compared them all side by side and basically went through every process that I could possibly think about putting tasks in, getting tasks out, sorting tasks, putting due dates, all of that and comprehensively as far as I could tried to get screenshots of each 
app at each moment uh, and compare them all. And I, I basically said, you know, if you want this, this one's best for you. If you want this, this one's best for you. And I was trying to be as objective as possible. But Things 2, in my opinion, was the weakest of all four of those apps. Um, and that was whenever you wrote that, because that article is the one where I was first introduced to, to Mr. Drew Coffin. Oh, yeah? Uh, that's where I discovered you was because of that article. Oh, because uh, I got on Mac Stories and stuff? Was that Maybe. One? I don't remember. I don't remember how. Maybe it was just in a Twitter feed. Someone shared it. I don't know what it was. Yeah. But that's that was the article that introduced me to you. And I think it was at that time where To Do, To Do, was making the making the rounds, and it was the new right. latest shiny thing that everybody was getting into. Which is really funny because I don't know if you remember or not, but that app has been around forever. It was actually one of the first apps that I ever downloaded. Oh, really? If I look back at my download history, it had this very, very, very heavy uh, skeuomorphic look. It was almost like trying to emulate a uh, a leather-bound planner. <laughs> and it was actually really cool. It was just so stylized that I I couldn't use it. It was it was too much. Um, and then of course they you know refreshed it and changed it, and that's the to do that exists today. But in any case, that that version of things things too, I, it was probably the weakest to me. Uh, it really didn't fit the way that my brain worked. Uh, there was a lot of limitations that didn't really make any sense. I'm not the kind of person that uses stuff like Apple Script, but obviously you know it's lacking in that department too. And I wouldn't be surprised if things three uh, is lacking that as well because it's not really. Set up to be a heavy hitter. It's a little easier to use. Um, but the thing that I love so much about it is it's a simple one. It's kind of the thing that I wrote about more than anything else, which is just the fact that in my life right now, the way that I have it set up is I have a lot of tasks that I try to accomplish every day. Either something as simple as write. I want to remind myself to write every day. And then other things that are much more detailed that I want to have set to be recurring. But they're on my own timeline. So if I don't if I don't accomplish it on a day, it doesn't matter. And in Todoist when I would set up a recurring task, I would come back to it after three days of not looking at it and have a bunch of blinking red angry texts looking at me saying that I missed my my due date. With things three, whenever you have a recurring task set up, it'll just automatically push that thing forward to today if you didn't do it yesterday. And there's just something about that that makes it so great for me to use because of the, the season of life that I'm in currently and the way that I'm doing tasks. Uh, man, it is awesome. So I, I really, really appreciate it. And I'm, I've, I've looked at it every day since it came out and um, have felt very accomplished because of it. it. There's definitely some things that I don't necessarily love, but overall, it is just the one that really works for me. Um, I tried to go back to OmniFocus, but like I said, just a little too heavy-handed for the season that I'm in right now. Yeah, and that makes sense. I think if you're looking for something light that you know you could get into, it sounds like Things 3 would fit that really well. I know some people get into uh, Todoist pretty heavy on that, but it, it seems like if you want to do some pretty complex things and be very specific on what you want to see at a specific time and in a certain context, you know, if you want to be very detailed with that, OmniFocus tends to be where people gravitate. But if you're not that picky, then it seems like the floodgates tend to open up and you can go a lot of different ways. Right. So it just depends. I mean, everybody's got their own way of, <laughs> I want to see this and this is, this is really cool. And if new and shiny is something that gets you to go check things off, by all means, go for it. So. Yeah, I had I had no intention of downloading it because, like I said, I didn't really enjoy things too. And I, as much as I, as much as I enjoy finding something new and and changing over to a new system because it's fun, the idea of changing over to another system because that'll be more fun is terrible sounding to me. I just <laughs> don't like that process. One of the things that I think is really cool too about that recurring system is that you can have uh, a task that has a bunch of subtasks in it, and you can. Uh, either choose to have those subtasks recur with the task or not recur with the task, if that makes any sense, which has been cool because if you're trying to set up a new process where you say every day you want to accomplish this thing that requires you to do 10 steps, you can just have those 10 steps constantly repeat, but they only take up one check marks worth of space. Um, so there's just there's some really neat stuff. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been it's been good for me to use even even stuff as simple as health. I actually have like a a task called health, and it has a bunch of things that I'm trying to do because every day I work out, I don't need my task manager to remind me to go to the gym. 
but I have been trying to consistently like log my weight in the morning. Um, so instead of having a task that says log weight, I have a task that says health. And then I, inside of that, I have subtasks that say log weight, workout, and a few other things. Um, so I've just been more mindful of it because I can't check it off until I've done all of those things. And so I end up doing them all more often than not. So yeah, it's great. I really enjoyed it. And I hope that there are other people that feel a little more focused because of this new piece of tech in the world. Yep, I think they are. You're obviously a person that's that's very oriented towards task management and figuring out what you're going to do and time blocking. I mean, these are all high level things. It's not like you're having a notepad or a sticky note with what you're going to do every day. And you have very clear understandings of, of how reasonable it all is and how much you might actually do and how much things need to be messed with and all of that. It seems very, very great. Now, how do you end up getting everything into these systems? Do you do it all on your Mac or do you use your iPhone or is it a combination or how does it, how does it work? Two main things. One, I keep note cards in my back pocket. Really? So I, I, yeah, I, what is it? Who is it? Merlin man coined the term HPDA. So hipster PDA. So Mm -hmm. I carry one of those around have for years now. And I I love that because I just always have it with me. And then I keep I keep a Fisher space pin in my front pocket mm-hmm. at all times. So I've always got those two with me so that I can always I can write things down at any time. It actually surprises me how often I need to just sketch something out for a potential client. You know, if they want a specific website, they want an intentional piece of it set up a certain way. Uh, I can sketch things out with them with that. So anyway, there's an aside, but yeah, it's. It's really helpful to have those around because I've always got pen and paper on me. So I, I do a lot of my, you know, if I need to do something around the house, I'll write it down on that. And then usually about once a day, I just make sure I get those into into OmniFocus. If I'm not doing that, I use uh, drafts on my phone. So I'm a huge fan of drafts. I do a ton of things with it. Uh, I know that if I'm going to type something into my phone, I usually just hit drafts right away and start typing, even if I'm going to do a Google search, because I can action things off to a Google search from there. But yeah, it goes into drafts, and then it goes from there, wherever it is I need to send it. Hmm. So yeah, it's it's one of those two is how I'm getting things into these systems. But there's a difference between getting it into the system and then getting it into the right place inside that system. So just getting it initially caught, that's between the paper and my phone. Actually putting it into the processed area where it belongs, that's what I'm doing on my Mac, and I do all the heavy lifting there. So that if, if, you're, if you're a getting things done person, that's the whole collect process, clarify thing that goes on. That's what I'm doing. There was a really neat feature on that Siempo phone uh, that I think you would really appreciate. They called it the intention field. Okay. And the idea was that on the home screen, there was a place for you to input text and you would just start writing and then they would try to predict what you wanted to do with it. So if you started writing something, it could say, send as a text message, save as a note, whatever you wanted to do. Yeah. So the idea was basically drafts on the home screen. Interesting. Which is a is a really neat idea to me because I've wanted that you know that'd be so nice to just have basically the equivalent of a note card in your pocket on your lock screen well if you want to here's a pro tip for you because this is what I do because I feel like I have something very similar to that with drafts so I have over time I have built this habit you know you think about it you're doing something on your phone a lot of people do one of two things either hit the the lock screen button on the right or they hit the home button and then hit the lock screen so that you know they're either at their home page or they're still in the app wherever they are it seems like people do one of the two and they just have that habit what I tend to do because I just have one page of apps on my phone so it's the home screen and only the home screen I have this habit of tapping the drafts icon that's in my home row and then locking my phone so that when I open my phone and and you know I'm using my thumb so it unlocks it right away the first thing I'm looking at is drafts so just unlocking my phone I can start typing right away I don't have to hit anything just go pro tip yeah I like that you're gonna get me to reinstall drafts aren't I'm you? working on it drafts is amazing <laughs> I don't know how people do anything without it <laughs> all right I might be I might be redownloading it as we speak <laughs> so it seems to me like you have discovered that physical objects just work better for you than your phone I even use fountain pens wow that is that is about as physical as it can possibly get yeah you don't carry I, one of those around though you carry the, the space uh, if I've got my backpack around with me yes I have I own four 
Where are they? Here they are. I've got three on my desk at the moment. I own four. One of them I keep in my backpack as much as I can. It's kind of like my mobile office. Do you like doing that just because you feel better writing with it or because it has some sort of feature that you like? It is It is because I know... So this is, this is kind of a deep-rooted thing with me. I know that if I write things down... I'm better off. Mm-hmm. So if I if I have ideas for a, a plugin or some code I'm writing or how to design an interface, I know that writing it down is better for me than trying to keep it in my head. Mm. And there's just so much of that that I can't keep in my brain, so I feel better off writing it down. Now, I tend to struggle with remembering to write it down because I continually think that, oh, I don't need to write it down. I'll be okay. I'll, I'll remember that later. But I found that if I have nice tools, you know, I keep nice fountain pen paper around. I use the Rodeo notepads and I have nice fountain pens. Those are things that I really enjoy using. So it makes it to where if I can come up with an excuse to use those tools, I will. So I know that if I have an idea or something I need to write down, I love using my tools. So I'll go write it down and then I'm better off because of that. So I, I keep nice tools like that around because it gets things out of my head better. You know that I do something kind of similar with uh, the Apple Pencil and the iPad? And that is? I just keep an Apple Pencil with me at all times, not for really drawing, but for writing. Mm-hmm. Because I've recognized that too, that there's something different about me writing with the pen and paper, even if it's digital, than typing something out. Uh, especially, I've, I've used it quite often when I'm trying to kind of clear my head because opening a note and trying to clear my head that way just has never really felt right to me. But opening a digital piece of paper, which is kind of a weird term, using a pencil to write everything down just feels more flexible and helps me feel a little more cleared, I think. And then I also do the same thing with writing. If I don't have any idea what I'm going to write for a a morning, let's say I just want to spend some time writing, but I don't really have any prompts in mind, uh, it's harder for me to start with a with a notepad and a keyboard, and it's much more easy for me to start with a pencil and paper. So yeah, it's just something that I've done. And I've considered that before. I actually used to carry a pen and paper with me at all times, and I just kind of got out of the habit. But yeah, I I like that. When you say, I don't use an iPhone, it sounds kind of wild. But when you really get into it, it, it's because the things that I use an iPhone for on a consistent basis, you've just offloaded to analog tools because they work better for you. Either that or I've got it completely automated. Like there's there's some things I do. Like I, I'm a big fan of the app workflow. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge fan of that. As is Apple. Yeah. With that, it allows me to create a lot of things automatically. Or if I have a piece of text, I can send it someplace or duplicate it multiple times, even to the point where, you know, I do some time tracking for a couple different clients of mine. And I use Launch Center Pro to send off a workflow action to start the clock and stop the clock, which then runs through a Google Sheet and does all the auto-calculating of how many hours I've spent on the week and how many do I have left, that sort of thing. But those are Those are what I would call micro interactions for me on the phone because I'm unlocking the phone, hard like 3D touching the icon and hitting the button and I'm done. Like that's that's all I'm doing. So that to me, I'm only on the phone for like three seconds at that point, and I can almost do it without even looking at it. So it is something that I do very quickly. So a lot of the things I'm doing with my phone are simply like they're data input methods <laughs> in some way. It's collecting information in some way. I bet you never have to worry about a dead iPhone at the end of the day. No, like uh, what am I at right now? So it is my time. It is one fifteen p.m. and I have eighty two percent left on my phone. Yeah, I'm sure that I have less than that, and it's eleven where I am so (laughs) yeah I don't I'm I'm not one that understands the whole battery life thing like you could take some battery life away from me I'd be okay (laughs) (laughs) you're fine no big deal whatsoever do you have any sort of rules about how you use your phone like at as you go to bed do you even use your phone as you go to bed or do you not I try to put my phone down at about eight o'clock and don't touch it after that. I mean, the only thing I'll do is start sleep cycle. Oh, yeah, you use that. So it's obviously in your bedroom. Right. So it's in my bedroom. It's sitting next to me. Uh, it's my alarm clock. But yeah, at about eight o'clock, I, I try not to use it. Uh, I have noticed that I'm somewhat sensitive to the blue light thing, and it can affect my sleep a little bit. And I don't want to do that because I don't spend enough time in bed anyway. So I don't want to ruin myself over that. Hmm. So yeah, I try to avoid it if I can. But I also try to avoid it in the morning because I know there's a lot of negative stuff that I can get on it. So I try to avoid it then too. I tend to avoid my phone quite a bit, it seems. I didn't realize this until we started this conversation. 